the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we're discovering in our conversation tonight with Andy Crouch, and certainly displayed throughout so much of Scripture, uh, power can be used in very many good ways. We think of creative power. We think of the power that has been given to us unto salvation through Christ's substitutionary work on the cross. Uh, And yet, as we see the good side, the good aspects of power, we also recognize there's a power struggle. There's a balance between power being good used for good or power being good used for evil. How do we go about harnessing, harnessing power for the use for good, for the glory of the kingdom, and learn how to become, I guess, ultimately, Andy Crouch, trustees of power. We're, we're, we're kind of entrusted to this. It's just what we do with it, huh? <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, the title of my book is Playing God. And we usually say that like it's a bad thing. Uh, and it is a really bad thing if you're not playing the true God. But the, really, the question is not whether you're playing God or not. It's which God are you playing. You're going to play some image. You're going to bear some image with your life. Your life will either reflect the image of a false god, the god of domination, the god who has to get his own way, or it will reflect the the image of the true god, the god who, when things went so terribly wrong, was even willing to give up his own son uh, to bear pain rather than inflict pain. Um, So it really comes down to what you believe ultimate reality is about. And if you believe that the Christian gospel is true, it's going to change, I think, how you use the power you have and also who you use it for. You won't use it primarily for your own benefit, and you will use it, especially, it seems to me, for those who are the, the most vulnerable, the least and the last and, and the lost that Jesus talked about so many times. Jesus kind of reorients our use of our power towards people who can never pay us back necessarily, who can't benefit us, but who our exercise of power can actually help them flourish. This is kind of a delicate dance, isn't it? Because we see, for example, um, examples of uh, servant leaders. These are individuals who who have power, maybe within an organization that they can hire and they can fire, things of this sort, uh, and yet they wish to, instead of putting that power to use to demonstrate how much power they have, rather Mm. sharing it with others to to empower them. It's interesting how perhaps there's a, a certain power of shared power, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think that's a, a wonderful model. And uh, in a way, you know, I think power really is, it's supposed to be used to serve. Um, that is to say, it's supposed to be used to help others flourish who would not have flourished if you didn't use your power. So if you have one of those positions, your responsibility is to make sure that other people flourish. And that's, in a way, the deepest, I think, sense of what serving well, is. Well, we, and we certainly see that, you know, throughout Scripture. I mean, for example, God is a righteous and holy God who created us, could have easily have said, well, my creation has offended me, and therefore I'm going to use my power to punish and abolish my creation. Instead, he used his power to bring about victory over death and sin through the work that his son did on the cross. 
amazing. And, you know, as amazing as creation is, in some ways, the new creation Paul talks about, which is the result of the, the giving of God and God's Son on the cross, is even more amazing. The new creation is just extraordinary that God reaches into this broken world and doesn't act simply to wipe things out or to even to command and control everything but starts recreating right in the midst of it and ultimately is going to make everything new it says in revelation that's real power <laughs> to the ability to make all things new to wipe tears from people's eyes from everyone's eyes um, and we of course we only get a little taste of that uh... in our own lives we're only given a tiny measure of that and any more than we have would overwhelm us. But I do think we have access to that kind of recreating power, as well as the sort of original creativity that was human beings' birthright as image bearers. How do we start this process in terms of, I think, probably just evaluating where we're at in this power struggle uh, that we have yeah. with God? And, uh, th- of course, that, that then spills over into every other relationship. How do we go about an- analyzing and either way we're using our power, either to good or to yeah. evil, and then learn how to rebalance it so that it becomes a, a redemption of power? I think that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I would start with our, uh, with our neighbor who we have seen, as James says. James says, you know, how can you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love your neighbor who you have seen? And we can sometimes be very clever about rationalizing our relationship with God, but our neighbor sees how we treat them. And I'm thinking... Maybe not so much our next-door neighbor, though it could be that, but the people who are closest to us. I think the place to start is to ask, very, to create an environment where you can honestly ask and honestly hear, how am I using whatever power I have? Um, and so husbands should ask this of their wives, uh, and wives should ask this of their husbands. It can start at home. It can happen in the workplace to say, you know, I have power in this position, perhaps, and asking the people who are affected by that. How am I doing? And making sure that they can answer honestly. Now, that takes time. That takes building trust. But I think other people will... The other thing that happens, most of us don't think we have very much power. But when you ask other people, what are some of my gifts? What are areas where when I do this, it really creates things? They will they'll give you insight into the power you actually have, even if you don't have a title that seems like it has a lot of power or a position that seems like it has a lot of power. Now, let's talk then about relationship to bringing that power balance back in our in our relationship with God. Mm. So then I so once we've started to uh hear from our neighbors <laughs> how we're doing I I think there's a huge place for you know what often the Christian tradition is called the spiritual disciplines because the spiritual disciplines actually put us in a very powerless place. When I fast or when I am silent or when I pray alone there's no one to impress. <laughs> it's not something I'm very good at. I think the interesting thing about the spiritual disciplines, like fasting, is any, any human being, uh, any healthy adult human being can do that. It's not hard to do, and yet it's impossible to do it well. Then when you seriously take up a discipline of fasting, you discover how, how uh, sort of uh, accustomed you are to filling every little need with food, and you discover how much you need God. Uh, so I think the spiritual disciplines 
are, are ways that sort of train us to realize how dependent we've become on our own sense of ourselves and our own sense of power. And they, they sort of lay us open before God, and it's amazing what you discover about yourself in prayer as you practice these disciplines. And at the end of the day, it's not that God wants to strip us of power. It's how we channel it, how we direct that, how we use that power. He wants us to have true power, and more, I think, than we ever really imagined. Uh, you know, Paul, when he's trying to deal with the church in Corinth, and they're you know, taking each other to court, <laughs> he says, look, don't you know we're going to judge angels? I mean, there's an immense amount of power that is waiting to be conferred on these redeemed image bearers that God wants to bring back into his creation, the way it was originally meant to be. So God, you know, this is the, the, the great lie, is that God wants to take power away from us and keep us from having things we want, <laughs> when in fact God has more for us than we could ever imagine. But it's a matter of becoming the kind of uh, image bearers who can bear the weight of that and who can not be uh, kind of corrupted by it. To whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, yeah. And that really kind of brings us full circle on this topic tonight. I, I sure appreciate you diving into this. Andy, because it's one that I think, you know, again, we, we look at all mankind and we see a power struggle going on. <clears throat> we look at history, we see a power struggle going on. We look at scripture, we see a power struggle going on. We look at sin in our lives with God and we see a power struggle going on. It's not that power is a bad thing. I mean, thank goodness for power. We wouldn't be on the radio right now if it wasn't for power. And yet if I walked up to one of the towers and decided to wrap my arms around it, I could also find out that the same power that's allowing our voices to get out all over the San Francisco Bay Area uh, could strike me dead in the wrong fashion in a quick second. So it really comes down to our relationship with power and what we do with it. Exactly. And the good news is God is at work in all this. And uh, that very thing that can electrocute, <laughs> and in a way did electrocute his son, right? His son suffered the worst that human power can do. That God can even overcome that and has something amazing on the other side of it that really brings a blessing to, to the world. And that's what I think the hope that we can have as we realize that power is everywhere, uh, but, but God's power to redeem and recreate and restore is everywhere as well. You, you might initially hear the topic and say, well, this is a good book. I'm going to get a copy from my boss. <laughs> um, or I have a husband or a wife or whomever that seems to be on a power trip. But really, all of us struggle at one level or another with power, trying to redefine what our relationship with power is, and then to learn that this is not something that um, should be shunned, per se, that in fact it's a gift from God. How do we, though, redeem it for his purposes? You'll find some great insights. <coughs> Pardon me, inside the pages of Andy Crouch's new book called simply Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. The new book, again, Published by InterVarsity Press, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as uh, all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc. Andy Crouch, thanks so much for being with us. Great book, great conversation. There's Andy Crouch, executive editor of Christianity Today, author of the new book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I got a telephone call on a Saturday evening while enjoying dinner with some friends about uh, probably six o'clock and it was my bank calling my cell phone to say now mr roberts we just wanted to touch bases with you we noticed a couple of out of the ordinary charges on your credit card and one was for approximately a thousand dollars at uh, fries in san jose and the other charge was almost two thousand dollars seventeen hundred and change as i recall at a walmart store in modesto 
And what caught their attention was the fact that the two charges fell approximately 15 minutes apart. Now, I don't care if you're traveling on a Learjet. San Jose to Modesto in 15 minutes just simply isn't possible. Well, their suspicions were correct, and my worst fears had been realized. My credit card information had been compromised, and at least two people were running around the state of California with my credit card number just picking up all kinds of goodies at electronic stores. Well, the good news is we shut down the card immediately. We were able to fend off any further um, illicit charges against the card, and uh, uh, while a bit uh, chagrined, uh, it got no worse than that. For literally tens of hundreds of thousands of Americans, though, the story of identity theft doesn't end there. In fact, it begins there and gets much worse, as it did for my next guest tonight, who's taken the time to help share his horrific story with the rest of us and hoping that you can learn from some of the do's and don'ts and understand what you need to do once you've either discovered that your identity has been compromised or, better yet, steps to take to help negate or reduce the possibility of that happening. Scott Merritt has written a new book called Simply Identity Theft, Recovery is Possible. Scott, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Your story is a bit um, unusual in the sense that you first learned of this, well, much like I did. Your, your bank had contacted you by a letter indicating that probably not unlike the 70 million people who got compromised over at Target, that there had been some kind of a breach of data with relationship to um, accounts there at the bank where you did business. Though when you went and looked into all of this initially, you discovered that you weren't one of them, nothing amiss had occurred, but um, that was kind of a real false sense of security for a short moment, wasn't it? Absolutely. Tell us more what happened. Well, what happened, uh, I, a couple months down the road, I, I checked my statement, and again, I didn't see anything, so I didn't, wasn't too alarmed. But then about three months down the road, um, I started having all kinds of overdrawn accounts, checks bouncing, uh, credit cards being opened in my name, and I got hit really hard because not only did I have personal accounts at that institution, but corporate accounts. So this so went beyond really, really quickly. Th this went beyond simply somebody um, copied or, or got their hands on your credit card information and started charging against you. In fact, is is it fair to describe this as saying that suddenly there were two Scott Merritts running about with the with the same or, or held in common the same um, credit identity, and unfortunately, the bad version of Scott Merritt was causing all kinds of problems for the good version. That, that 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 would be a mild way of putting it, but it's more like eight or ten Scott Merritt's running. Really? What, what happens in a case like that? Is this information, once it has been compromised because somebody's managed to, uh, to you know, hack their way into a banking computer or through the computers at uh, Target or whatever and gather enough personal information to be able to go out there and, and start opening up accounts in your name, do they sell this information off? Is that how it's getting to be to, to multiple persons, multiple that individuals? Is that is exactly what happens. A lot of times... It, like with the target situation, what probably will happen with a lot of those people is, is the actual fraudsters will sell those those names and phone numbers and account numbers off and, and to other people, and they'll take their cash and run, and then they'll take the, the people who buy that information will take it and multiply the problem. And that problem can get multiplied not only across the state but across continents too, can't it? That is exact. That is exactly at, at one point in my process. I actually had someone from the U.K. call me. Oh. 
<laughs> so, and th- you're th- that was a nice, that one was obviously very easy to identify, given it was on another continent. Now, some some people listening to this would say, "Well, Scott, you, you were notified initially by your bank that there was a breach uh, of data. You watched it over a couple of months." no suspicious activity, then all of a sudden all kinds of suspicious activity. Why couldn't you simply go back to the bank and say, hey, look, uh, you know, the letter that you sent me is demonstrating that, yeah, now I, in fact, am a victim of all of this, so let's shut everything down and stop these criminals in their tracks. Well, and that would be a logical thing if we were dealing with a credit card. When you deal with a Visa debit card tied to your checking account, you do not have the same protections that you would have... If, if we were dealing with a national credit card. Once it's tied to your checking account, uh, some of the safeguards are not there, and that therein lies the problem. Now, the bank, the first couple times, they might eat the charges and, and, and say, thank you for you know banking with us, but if it happens repeatedly like it did with me, or in an excessive amount, eventually they're going to stick you with the bill, which is what happened to me. Well, in your case, it was not only also sticking you with the bill because of repeated activity, but as you suggested, this was activity uh, across multiple layers. I mean, did these people go around and start you know, buying cars in your name, opening up checking accounts in your name, and, and credit cards and so forth everywhere? Well, what they did is they, uh, they started using both personal and corporate cards, credit cards, and opening credit cards and what have you, they they cleaned out four of my checking accounts. Uh, they uh, I ended up with overdrawn fees because I had actually written you know checks out for my own use. So I then had to go make them right. When the corporate accounts were hit, I actually had to go in and make my partners whole. Uh, so it got ugly very quickly. I mean, it it, it was the, whatever number you have in your mind, triple it, and then then you have a fathom because when you, I'm a financial guy by trade because I'm in the securities business. And so when you manage millions, you become a target. So when we think that, well, if anything like that untoward happens, I'm simply going to call the bank. The bank will shut down my credit card. They will issue me a new one, or they will shut down my ATM card, issue me a new one, open up a new account number. Everything will be hunky-dory. That wasn't at all your experience, was it? Absolutely, it was not. In fact, what I would encourage everyone to do, if it happens... First of all, number one is do not use the Visa debit card tied to your checking account. I know they're convenient, but every time you use that, you're opening up your checking account to fraudsters. And that what that does is it, once that's happened once or twice, it will happen over and over and over because people will sell that information. Well, what if they say, well, wait, wait a minute now, Scott, though I have a PIN number attached to that, and it's a it's a pretty crafty number. No one knows my birth date, so how could they ever how could they ever compromise my PIN? Well, because what they actually have is they have uh, predictive dialers, and they can actually figure out what your PIN is. No matter how creative you think you are, I guarantee you they can, they can figure that out. That's one of the reasons why most of the European market has went to a chip system to prevent that very thing. And, of course, the irony is when you go to a store and you make a, a point-of-sale purchase with your, your, your debit card, you have to enter your PIN number to authorize that charge, and it's going out over that retailer's wires. You know, it, Although it might ultimately be connected back to your bank, it's still going through some third party that potentially could capture that data, couldn't it? That, that is exactly what's happening, and that's, that, is what, that is what's happening, that, that transition between the retailer and the credit card processor, uh, that, that is what's happened to companies like Target and, 
and Neiman Marcus and these other guys. That's exactly that is exactly what happened. In my case, someone actually broke into a brick and mortar building and got my information. However, obviously, in the case of Neiman Marcus and those guys, someone actually stole that information out of the air. And this is ex- extreme um, risk for anybody that has any decent level of credit, isn't it? Because if you've got a little bit of money in the bank or you've been dutiful in paying your bills on time and you've got a credit, credit score you know, in, in the upper sevens, you're, you're the ideal target, aren't you? They're, you are the person that these thieves want to be able to, to not only get their hands on any of your liquid assets that they can drain from your accounts, but then steal your identity and turn around and start opening up credit cards and charging those to the max as well. So it really comes down to the, the better the better discipline you are at your finances, the higher risk you have. Is that true? Uh, in, to some degree. However, how you can manage that situation, it comes down to one word in it. The word is identity. And I know this is going to sound peculiar, but you want to make sure that your name and your address and your phone number that you use on all financial matters matches identically the way it appears on your Social Security card, on your driver's license, on your bank statement, on your credit card statement. And I, and, and I mean remedial. I mean, if, for example, on your driver's license you have a middle initial, but on your, on your Social Security card you don't, you need to change one of them so that they match. Same thing with your bank account. If your name appears one way and on another credit card statement it appears another way, that's that's an opportunity for fraud. Same thing with address. Let's say your address has the word road in it. And in one one instance you spell the word road out, another one you put RD period. Again, that's breeding grounds for fraud. How do they use that? How are they able to manipulate those subtle differences? Because I, you know, as you were talking, I I, uh, opened my wallet here and I notice I have a few credit cards that's just my first and last name, and I've got some credit cards uh, that has my middle and issue, and other credit cards that uh, that uh, spells both my middle uh, spells my middle name out entirely. Right, and so what that does is that creates aliases on your credit report. So when someone submits an application in any variation or something even similar to any one of those three variations you just named. That's an opportunity for fraud. Wow. And how you can clean that up is getting it so everything matches. You start with your state IDs, your, your driver's license, your Social Security card, um, professional licenses, etc. Then you take those, photocopy them, and submit them to your creditors so, so they change your account so they appear the same. We're going to pause for a minute. We've got more great insights from Scott Merritt. Scott was a victim of identity theft back in uh, 2005, 2006, and um, literally ruinous to both his personal private credit as well as his business credit. Um, And it's taken him years to unravel this mess. In fact, even as we sit out here, uh, what has it been now, Uh, eight years almost, uh, he's still dealing with the aftermath of all of this. Eight years later. If you ever shopped at a Target store around Christmas time, you could potentially yet be a victim of all of this. Seventy million credit cards were compromised. And as Scott suggests, it's pretty easy for them to gather enough information on you to be able to recreate your identity. The thought of two Craig Roberts running around out there is just too much for the world to handle. So how do you go about reducing some of that risk? We'll talk about that and then more steps on what to do once you've unwittingly become a victim of identity theft. Back to more of our conversation with Scott Merritt as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they try to address a breach of data um, or outright identity theft is to assume that your local banking institution is your friend, they're here to help, they will cut the thief off at the pass and make it all well again. But in fact, uh, there's not much motivation, shockingly, for banks to address this problem. That certainly seemed to be your experience. It it looks like they did little, if anything, but to exacerbate this horrific situation unfolding before you. Why was that? Well, and it's because uh, eventually they didn't want to be on the hook for the expenses. And it it comes down to money. Banks make money by loaning money, not by dealing with, with fraud and things of that nature. And that's why it is critical when you are aware of that situation, you go into the bank and file an affidavit. They are not going to want to file it, but make them file it anyway. And, 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 and make sure you get a copy of it and then go file a police report. It's going to be important, um, Scott, to also file that police report? Uh, yes, and, and I will tell you from my own experience, that filing the police report, because cops and police officers really don't like taking these reports, it took me 90 days for me to find the, finally get my police report filed because they, everybody's saying, oh, we don't, we don't handle those, we don't handle those. But your local sheriff's office will handle them, but they're not going to want to handle it, just so you're aware. Scott Merritt is with us today. The book is Identity Theft, Recovery is Possible. We're talking about the do's and don'ts, what you need to know if it happens, and we'll also some, uh, share some insights on how to reduce the possibility of um, being a victim of identity theft. Though I would imagine in this day and age, Scott, the idea of totally inoculating yourself from this is that kind of a, a a pipe dream? I mean, given all that Edward Snowden unveiled and what NSA is doing, including eavesdropping on our conversation right now, is this notion of, of pure, of 100% protection, is that just a pipe dream? Yeah, I would say it's a pipe dream. However, there are some steps you can take that uh, will minimize and greatly reduce your risk. And the number one thing I would say is, again, do not use your Visa debit card tied to your checking account. You want to use a national bank credit card. That doesn't mean that your local bank doesn't have a national bank credit card. A lot of times, the local smaller banks will partner with a national bank to offer a credit card that is national in nature. Um, and how you'll know it's a national bank credit card, you may not qualify for this limit, but you call your bank and you ask them, what is the largest limit this card will is able to be in size? And if they say it's 50000 or more, that's a national card. So you don't want them, the thieves, in other words, to have access to your debit card, which, you know, a lot of us go into Starbucks, boom, we present the card. It's like a 3 or $4 charge. I don't want to have to deal with that on a credit card and then, you know, write a check to pay it at the end of the month. So a lot of folks just say, hey, I'm going to take this and treat the thing like a, a substitute for cash. That's, that's a real risk you're suggesting. And if they want to do that, there is a way you can do that. You, there are what's called reloadable Visa debit cards. You can go and put X amount of dollars on that card and then use it, and when it's used up, just throw it away and go get you another one. There are a lot of retailers that offer them. A lot of your smaller community banks offer those reloadable cards. I know a, a lot of your retailers, like Walmart, for example, I know offers that offers those. How bad did this get for you? I mean, you, you talked about them having access to both your, 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 your personal identity as well as your business credit worthiness. I know there was extreme impact there at both levels. But it, it, did I read right in the book uh, that this got so bad that at one point you, in fact, had been uh, – they, they had put out a felony arrest warrant for you? 
Uh, that actually happened twice. I was actually stopped at an international airport. I was also uh, stopped at, 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 I got pulled over um, on an expressway and had the same thing happen. I had to go to the police station and all of that. It, it was easy for me to prove that it wasn't me because I am securities licensed. My prints were on file, and obviously they didn't match the the felony record print. So therefore, it was it was very easy for me to prove. At that point, I then had to get the FBI, Secret Service, and Department of Justice involved, and my U.S. congressman, and, and, and they had to go in and scrub everything up and send me letters so that if it happened again, I had. I didn't have to go through the, the whole ordeal all over again. This sounds like it becomes a full-time job just trying to piece your life back together again. It, it can, but again, if you, uh, one of the things that I learned the hard way was if I would have had some of the things that I was talking about, having different variations of your name, not present, um, using the right kind of cards, not Visa debit cards, because I used to do the same thing everybody else does. Um, some of those things would have greatly amended. And the other thing is, is there's a, an extreme process to follow. And if you make one little mistake, you have to start the process over. Uh, and there is no roadmap to help you with that process. That's really why I wrote the book. Is I give everybody the roadmap so that you know how you, how to do it, when to do it, how to how to prepare it, how to send it, so that you don't end up restarting the process over over and over and over. This is really a book that, you know, in, in some cases people go out and they buy a book because they've gone through this terrible experience and now they're trying to get some, some insights from somebody who's been down the road. This is almost a book that, that ought to be bought ahead of time, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. And, and, and again, even if you haven't been an identity theft victim, if you read the book ahead of time, you can prevent it so that you're not a, a victim. And in the book, in one of the chapters, I even tell you how to structure your credit in such a fashion with little details how your name appears, how your address appears, you can actually improve your credit score with those little techniques. Scott Merritt is with us tonight in this segment of the program. We're talking about identity theft. It impacts literally hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. Most recently, we've heard news of a breach of information that took place impacting 70 million credit cards at Target. Neiman Marcus, 40 million, 110 million credit cards out there floating around that are being sold on the black market um, amongst criminals. And you know what? Some of the names on those credit cards might be yours. So what do you do about it? We're going to talk more about this. We'll also find out from Scott how helpful were the credit reporting agencies. I mean, after all, they're they're kind of in the thick of all of this. How helpful were outfits like Equifax or TransUnion in helping them to unravel this disaster and get his financial life back on track again? We'll find out that and more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The book is called Identity Theft. Its author, who's been down this road, unfortunately, himself, Scott Merritt, sharing some insights on what to do if it happens to you, and most importantly, perhaps, a preventative steps in order to um, reduce the risk of becoming a victim of identity theft. Understand that trying to unravel this mess, Scott, is often like, well, it's been equated to like trying to get your name off the TSA no-fly list if, if in fact, you've been uh, in, uh, erroneously placed there. What kind of support, if all, did you receive from any of the, the big three credit reporting agencies? Were Asperian, TransUnion, Equifax, were they very helpful in, in trying to kind of unravel this spaghetti tangled that your, your financial life became? Uh, in the beginning, I would say no, but what happened eventually, once I was able to get the police report filed and I got some of the dispute letters done um, by attorneys and uh, and different organizations that helped me along the way that I by trial and error, once I kind of began to build the initial file, I was then able to go to my U.S. congressman 
and he was able to exert some pressure on Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian and get them to assist me. And I would point out in particular what Equifax did is they actually assigned me a, a liaison that liaised between um, Equifax and my congressman, and they were able to get the stuff off. Though it would frequently reappear, they were able to get the bulk of it off in about six months. And, and let me stop you there, because I remember reading in the book, you you talked in one chapter about how you had to get a letter written, and, and an attorney wound up soaking you for 375 dollars. Uh, people are saying, wait a minute now, if I've gone through this, I've had my accounts have been breached, I am now fighting with the bank trying to get monies restored to my accounts, I have to go out and spend money on an attorney to unravel this, and worst yet, I'm you, you had to deal with your congressman to get help? Yep, yep. And, and uh, it, it, it's a process, and that that's why, that's again, that's why I wrote the book, because there's no rhyme or reason. Everybody, everybody in the process charges a fee with the exception of the congressman <laughs> <laughs> and so so they're all in it for them they're not well, all the, in it for and, if, you, and, if you if you if you succeed in the process they're happy but that's really not why they're there and at the end of the day even the congressman charges a fee i believe they collected every april 15th <laughs> uh scott so it sounds to me like this is a road that if you can at all avoid going down you, you really want to avoid going down it spend the last few moments of our time together tonight and again i'm going to urge folks this is really a book you need to get your hands on uh so you can get better prepared because you don't want to have to go out and try to find the book after it's happened you want to know what to do if it happens on how to quickly react and most importantly some of the steps you can take to help reduce your risk going out the gate and so this these are kind of the homework assignment for all of us tonight is, number one, consistency in the way your name is written, the way you're literally down to the letter of the way your address is on on bills. So if I have a credit card statement that comes in from Citibank and another one that comes in from Chase, I want to make sure that they're both adre- billing me at street, spelled S-R-E, spelled out as opposed to just abbreviated. Is that correct? Yeah, whatever way you, you have it appearing in one place, that's the way it needs to appear in all places. And the most common way to, to do it is how it appears on your driver's license is how you typically have it appear in every place else. Now, if, if for whatever reason it's, it's spelled out on all of your documents and your driver's license is wrong, there is a one-page form that you can get at DMV and submit that. And again, of course, the state's going to charge you five bucks, but they'll, they'll fix it for you. All right. Walk me through, if there was a top ten list you had to do of some of the things that everybody listening right now ought to do to be proactive to reduce their risk, and some you've already mentioned, kind of walk us through what that list might look like. Well, again, obviously making sure your name and your address is correct. Again, making sure you use the same phone number, uh, Secondly, is uh, make a photocopy of every single thing in your wallet, front and back, and staple it in the order that it appears, because you'll need that for the police report. That way it's already done. If you're going to go and apply for credit and you have to use your Social Security card, photocopy it and then put your Social Security card back in your strong box or your safe. Do not carry it around in your wallet. Um, th- those, are, those are some of the obvious ones. But then, again, if you're going to make purchases out in the public, do not use the Visa debit card. Use a national credit card, and when you and and I would recommend you put the majority of your bills on that credit card, with the exception of your mortgage. And then what you do is periodically just go in and use your bill pay service at your local bank and to pay your credit card, because then then that transaction is actually insured. 
Um, so that way you're minimizing the way the only people who have access to your checking account is your credit card company. Yeah, you know, we've heard that mail theft, for example, here in the Bay Area in a number of communities um, in the last several months, mail theft has been on the rise, uh, both stuff that's coming in and things that are going out. You'll see, in fact, i got a neighbor, take a, um, a clothespin and will hang bills that he's paying uh, on the lip of the mailbox, expecting the mailman to come and, and pick those up and take them to the post office as he's delivering mail. Isn't that an easy way also to steal those checks and, and wash them and rewrite them? Well, not only that, but what you've basically done when, the, when, when they do that, they now have your routing number, they have your checking account number, they have your name, they have your address and how you sign your name. No. Oh. We're, we're literally giving away a lot of this, aren't we? I mean, people that use birthdays as um, passwords. In fact, there's a list that comes out every once in a while of the top 10 most popular passwords, password being one of them. Uh, there are many degrees in which we're, we're kind of setting ourselves up for this, aren't we? You are. And, and that's why on my website at scottamerit.com, what I actually have is I have a free quiz that you can take. And it will actually tell you the different elements of your of your identity and your credit profile that are at risk that you need to deal with, and that that will kind of tell you how much of a problem you're going to have or could have down the road, because because you're really playing Russian roulette. It's a, it's not a matter of if it will happen; it's a matter of when it will happen. And obviously, as you can see, it's happening more and more often, and that's why you got to make sure you're protected. Um, the other thing that I would recommend everybody, if they if they if they don't want to put a lot of money on their credit card, they can go get one of those reloadable credit cards, put a couple hundred bucks on it, use that to make your purchases at the coffee shop and wherever, and then when it's done, you throw it away and go get you another one. Yeah, it's going to cost you a buck or two every time you got to do that, but it's cheaper than, than dealing with what I had to deal with. What about these uh, so-called identity protection services that are out there? Do they have any value? They, they play they definitely play a role and and there are different levels of those there are ones where you can simply monitor your credit report and, and again I use one of them and and the reason why I do that is because I can get notified anytime someone uh, puts a, applies for an application in my name it also lets me know if there are any variations of my name address because again you can get those with all three credit bureaus and so you can see how it appears in each location and each creditor. Is scrutinization of your monthly banking statement and, and credit card statements also important? I know that in a case once years ago, somebody had lifted a, uh, a credit card number from me, and uh, what, what caught my attention was there were one or two charges on my following month's credit card statement for like $1.64, and I thought, now, I complain about people at the grocery store who who buy five dollars worth of groceries and they pick up a you know a can of coke and a package of potato chips and they whip out a credit card to pay with it as as opposed to cash and so when I saw this tiny little charge I thought well that's odd and of course by the following month that little odd item it, it turned out to be you know, thousands of dollars in erroneous uh, fraudulent charges do we need to be careful about that too yes you do you need to and that, again that's why if you use a national card when you when you become aware of those you can call your credit card company notify them and they will take the charge off and they will simply send you a form you sign it send it back and your role is done that's the advantage of using a national credit card over using your visa debit card with the visa debit card you could your risk is unlimited you could literally be on the hook for every single dime where with the credit card, the most you can be out is $50. Well, and the other thing, too, to point out is, you know, if there's fraudulent charges against your credit card, 
they've gotten a hold of your credit card, they haven't gotten a hold of your money. If they manage to go in and vacuum out all the cash out of your account, yep. uh, you're now at the mercy. You know, and, and some states have laws that that work toward protecting you. But you know, if if the thousand dollar balance that was in there on Tuesday has been dropped to zero, and you're bouncing checks now all over town, you're still at somebody's mercy to restore that cash to you. The reality is that cash is gone, and in some cases, as you suggest, the banks are resi- uh, uh, hesitant, if at all, to ever restore that money. Right, and but again, if you use the credit card, you avoid all of that hassle because, uh, for lack of a better term, it's kind of almost like an insurance policy. Uh, and I hate to use that term loosely, but uh, the, the reality is, is there are fraud protections that were implemented during the credit crunch back a few years ago, and they really tightened up the protections for the credit card. Unfortunately, they left the loop open for the Visa debit cards tied to the checking accounts, and that's why in my book I, I spend a whole chapter on dealing with those very things. And again, if you go to scottamerit.com, uh, in my book, Identities Have Do's and Don'ts, I not only give you the the process, but I actually give you the letters to use so that all you got to do is is literally retype those letters with your name, your address, a copy of your driver's license, social security card, and where to send it, how to send it, and then how to track it to find out when you need to send the next letter. And, it, and in Michigan and the other states under federal law, if they don't respond within 30 days, it has to be deleted without exception. Wow. So some really solid advice all the way around inside the pages of Identity Theft. And as Scott mentioned, you can get a copy of the book um, and also take that complimentary test at his website at Scott A. Merritt. Think of Merritt like uh, Lake Merritt. ScottAmerritt.com. And we are so appreciative of Scott sharing, Scott, from your, your pain and bitter experience um, of, of what happened as you were a victim of identity theft to help the rest of us hopefully never going down that road identity theft recovery is possible do's and don'ts what you need to know what you need to do details on the web at scottamerit.com opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership staff or management of kfax copyright salem media group all rights reserved Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.